0: I'm just going to read some verses from verse chapter 36 and I'm going to just read them as the context of Ezekiel. From verse 20 of Ezekiel 36, we read God saying, whenever they, that is his people, God's people, went among the nations verse 36 of chapter verse 20 of chapter 36 whenever they went among the nations they profaned my holy name for it was said of them these are the lord's people and yet they've had to leave his land i had concern for my holy name which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will guide you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And ultimately, the challenges that a congregation may face, our own congregation, congregations up and down a land, are the challenges the church may face, particularly in these times, financially, materially, spiritually, and a whole host of other ways. When we talk about these things and when we're concerned about these things, we have to remember, above everything else, what does it say about God's holy name? How does it reflect on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our boss? How does it communicate that to others and just positively the impact of the gatherings that karen and others host the impact of the school being in here on thursday noticed that one of the parent helpers who came along a fellow who's a lecturer he might even be listening on so if you are hello and he was quite taken by the fact that as well as the usual stuff that we have about here that looks kind of church life i mentioned the camera and the Stuff up top and told them how we broadcast and how we're on YouTube and things like this. No. Small things that can bring glory to God's name. And bring honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So let's pick up on that reading from chapter 37 and verse 15. Chapter 37 and verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me, that's the prophet Ezekiel. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Joseph, that is to Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick, so they will become one in your hand. And when your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood and they will become one in my hand hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them this is what the sovereign Lord says I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel there will be one king over all of them and there will never again be two nations or divided into two kingdoms they will no longer defy." themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the ancient world, when a treaty was being signed between two parties, and of course there was plenty of tribalism and wars and people falling out with each other, in the ancient world, what often happened was that two tablets Uh, probably in a wood frame or perhaps in a stone frame, filled with wax would be presented. And indeed, a modern picture of this is, if you've ever seen in television, treaties being signed today and the big books. But in the ancient world, it wasn't big books. It would be two tablets. And on these tablets would be placed what the, the deal was that made the peace between the two warring tribes or what arrangements for trade, or whatever it may be, or whose king's daughter was being given over to another prince's son, you know, that kind of thing. And all of that would be written down, and there would be two tablets. And as a sign of the commitment that was made, these two tablets would be joined. As I say, if it was wood, they would be joined with a kind of hinge, or bound together by cord or flax. But they would be joined together as a sign of a treaty being made. That dealt and did away with the divisions and the enmities, the two would become one. The two that were at war or in factions would be united. The two that had sat across from each other, perhaps literally, and glared at each other, would now be bound together in a union of one form or another. And as I say, you can still see the same practice today. I so saw just the past week, a, a treaty that's been brought in in Ethiopia, between Ethiopian government and Eritrean rebels. And it was a treaty to do with humanitarian care. And there they were, it was brokered by the Organization of African Unity, OAU, I think that's what you call them. And the guy who was organized was in the middle and there was the two parties and the same kind of thing. Except so this time they have books and they write them in pen, but the same idea, they swap them nowadays. So you get, you get his and I get his and we swap them round. One of the great divisions in the ancient world in the world of Jesus' time actually wasn't between the Roman Empire that kept divisions very much under control but was the attitude towards Jewish people amongst themselves and with the world round about them. Here we're talking about the different tribes, the tribes of Joseph and Ephraim and the rest of the tribes and the divisions and the tensions that developed there. In the time of Jesus, you perhaps remember the story of Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman and the enmity that existed between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, who actually were related um, through history but were regarded as really beyond the pale. They literally stayed on the other side and they were literally regarded as beyond the pale. And for a Jewish man, women, children, then Gentiles were in a pecking order that went down to the abyss. And if you were a Gentile, well, really, you know, you definitely were out there. And of course, they lived in a world of division and tensions, just like our world today. Yes, we're all aware of the tensions in Ukraine between people who are racially, on the whole, related to each other. But we're aware of other tensions. If you were watching yesterday or heard anything about the presentation from the the football guy, and the, the divisions that are between the West and Qatar over hosting the World Cup and FIFA and, and the divisions there. And we all know, as we made reference to last Sunday, of the divisions and tensions that can exist between families and within families and between related people and friends. That is the reality of the world in which we live, the enmity between people. And yet here in this perhaps somewhat obscure passage from the Old Testament, God is saying he's in the business of making a you people. And that hopefully rings a bell from what we read last Sunday. There is a connection. I hope we do pick up these connections as we go week by week. Read again what we read last Sunday. Christ himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit the king is in the business of a kingdom and the kingdom is to be a united kingdom the prophet ezekiel makes that clear my servant david will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd they will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees there and their children their children's children will live there forever and david my servant will be their prince forever and here is a prophetic word pointing to the future, pointing not just to a change in the geopolitics of the ancient world, but to David's greater son, a prince in David's line, who will be born of the house and line of David, and his job will be to make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant, not done in tablets of wax, Bound together as spoken of here. But just in a couple of weeks time, we'll remember the words of Jesus. This is the new covenant in my blood. He has written a new covenant. He has made a peace treaty. He has established a kingdom. He makes a people one And as we look forward to Advent and reflecting on that day when Christ will come, and it was interesting little Ezra saying, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus, but that is Jesus riding on a horse I'd missed some bits out for the sake of the children, trading the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. That king who will rule and control the nations is the king. Promises and desires that God's people will become one. That doesn't mean we always agree. That doesn't mean we have the same name out of every church outside of every church building. That doesn't mean that everything we do in terms of government and practice is the same throughout the world. Of course, it doesn't. But it does mean that in following the living God, obeying His laws, careful to keep His decrees, and living in the land of His kingdom, unity must be at its heart. For that brings glory and honor to God and is a powerful witness to a divided world. So, this kingdom... This king, servant David, will be king over them, David's greater son. I hope, I really do pray that you do begin to see all this bits corrected together. The bit we looked at last Sunday in Ephesians, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility, making one people this whole story, and therefore how sad it is when, yes, we have our differences and everything else, but when there's grievous divisions, when things open up, when people break down the bonds of fellowship, a whole host of things that isn't God's intent, his kingdom and his king desire, unity. And how is that made possible? Well, let's go back to that passage we read. Verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land and the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, there will never again be two nations that are divided into two kingdoms. The tablets are brought together, and they're bound together, and there's one There's still between us and God, and between one another as brothers and sisters in Christ should be laid aside. They will no longer defile themselves with the idols of vile images, or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, or I will cleanse them, they will be my people, and I will be there. there was a mark in the carpet at the manse. It was left by Colin, who on a number of occasions knocked over his juice. And so there was this mark right in front of the settee. Now, some people wouldn't notice it, but I always did. And I tried to clean it with you know, the water and the soap in it, and it still wouldn't do anything. And actually, just the other day, I remember something that the carpet man across the road, now because that's where it was a good number of years ago, we bought a new carpet from the man across the road. And he said, this carpet, he said, you could take bleach to it and you could clean it. <sighs> <laughs> and I thought, will I believe him? will I actually use bleach? Well, the truth is, no. I used flash bleach, you know, the the spray. I thought, well, that's half and half. (laughs) So perhaps it's... And you know what? Now, please, this is not a quote. Don't quote me. Your carpet may not be able to cope with this. (laughs) So don't you go home with the flash bleach and try to remove a stain and then come back and say, look at the base you've made. All I'm saying is that that carpet man told me on my carpet, I did, and you know what? The stain it was removed, despite the fact it had been lying there. It was iron brew, actually. It had been lying there for a long time. So yes, it did. I sprayed it, I wiped it, and it cleaned it. It was a good carpet, by the way. None of your cheap rubbish. But anyway. <laughs> but the point is, I had to listen to the promise. I had to weigh up whether that promise was valid. Did he actually know what he was talking about? And he was a good man. Those of you remember him, Church Street carpets, He was a. He used stuff. And then would I have the confidence to actually have faith to do what needed to be done? Here's a promise here. I will save my people from all their sinful backsliding. And I will cleanse them. And they will be my people. And I will be their God. And the bottom line is can we trust what God says and if we can trust what God says then why can't we actually do what he invites us which is not to spray flash bleach over our bodies or anything else but to trust that his grace, that the power of his love and mercy in the blood that flowed when Jesus said, this is the new covenant on that cross, when he gave himself as a ransom for many. Can we trust in the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of our life? Can we trust in God? Or are we going to sit and look at the stain, not in our carpet, The stain of our own sin and sinfulness and failings the stain of the hearts and the mistakes and the issues of life are we going to allow them to mark our lives forever the king the servant king is the one who makes that promise Again, let me just read you, I'm not asking you to look back, but let me just read you again, just those verses we read last Sunday, and see the connection. Jesus saying, or rather Paul saying, that he wants to reconcile both of us to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He's just said, we saw again last Sunday, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the promise of the king. Worldly rulers might make promises, indeed genuine promises. But we know only too well that they often can't keep them or break them. That when King Jesus makes a promise signed and sealed and written in His blood, the one who is the Word of God, the one who is sovereign and Lord over all, He can be trusted. And so, perhaps even this morning, this is a word to you. God desires you no longer defile yourselves with your idols and vile images or with any other offensive thing, for I will save you from all your sinful backsliding. And that may be true for somebody listening to this who's drifted away from church and you're just flicking through channels or who no knows what else and you think, Ezekiel, that's a bit odd. Let's listen to what that's going to say. Maybe that's God's word to you from all your sinful backsliding. And I will cleanse you. And you will be my child and I will be your God. For the promise stands that as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though our sins be as scarlet, he can make us as white as snow, as far as the east is from the west, so far will he remove our transgressions from us. If I could trust a carpet man who's long gone, to take that stain out my carpet, I think we can trust the eternal God with a promise written in heaven and revealed on the cross that that king keeps his word and will cleanse us. What in the wider world? So we've thought about the church, and we've thought about the state of the church, and the divisions, and the problems that's causing, the deep hurts that's causing, and we've also reflected, and what does that say about God? How do people, you know, when they hear these things about the state, and there's a farce, and all the rest of it, what does that make think of God? We've spoken about the importance of unity, a kingdom that's brought together, and in a world of division, hostility, how vital that is, we've seen how that's actually made possible because it's the grace of God that forgives us and cleanses us and brings us together as one before that cross. But in the wider world, what is perhaps the most demanding issue of today? actually morally and ethically it's actually not inflation although that's obviously a concern for many of us it's not even our heating bills although again that is a concern for many of us it's actually sad that the very people who suffered most during covid and lockdowns and the consequences of that as i said at the time it's all very well some people suggesting these things lived in lovely houses in surrey and had good pensions and good salaries and everything else but it was those more at the bottom end of our social spectrum that suffered most and once again it's often the same people who are facing the same trials and difficulties, and that's not right. I'm sure that's not just. But, despite all of that, can I suggest, and it might be interesting to chat to you afterwards, it's actually the issue of identity. Who am I? Um, that's an issue in schools. <laughs> that's an issue in medical conditions and situations. It's also an issue even within Christian organizations. Heard of work in Scripture Union the summer where they had to be a separate dorm set aside for someone who was, said there was a a boy, physically, but said he was a girl. I think that was right or the other way around. I can't remember. And they had to have a separate accommodation. And behind all of that, the growing pressure, and some of you may follow, I know some of you do. Um, The Christian Institute's concern, Christian concern, other Christian organizations who are expressing concern about legislation going through the Scottish Parliament about gender identity, being able to change your gender and what qualifications and necessary regulations are and that, all of that is so much more. Indeed, next Sunday, we might watch a wee little video which just opens up some of that issue. But it kind of suggests that yes, these other things, money and all these other things are issues, But for the Christian and for the church and for people of moral and ethical thinking, that is, I would suggest, the issue of the day. And it is a complicated issue, and I'm aware of that. And there are medical and reasons and psychological reasons behind some of these things. So, important to say that. But what I would want to affirm, indeed, what the church needs to affirm, is that ultimately, unless we know God as our creator, as our father who is in heaven, unless we know a God who's our strength and stay, our savior and sanctifier, our Lord and King, then the ultimate issue of who I am, why I'm here and what it's all about will remain and will remain especially in a rootless moral vacuum that we exist in in Britain today, increasingly unanswered and the confusion, and the skepticism, and the divisions, and the hostility, all that causes will simply increase. Listen again to the prophetic promise given through the prophet Ezekiel. Picking up in verse 25. They will live in the land I give to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors live. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an est- it, will, it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my my people, then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. That is the great promise that stands at the heart of Christianity. A promise, yes, of Eden restored, of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for his best mates, which is humanity, of living in harmony of living knowing who we are. And yes, enjoying the great privileges of being human beings. But also the great responsibilities of caring for creation. And caring for each other. Of knowing who we're accountable to. And living within the right framework of God's laws. Where freedom comes from knowing the difference between right and wrong. Knowing. Knowing that were made in the image of God, male and female, he did make them. Knowing that within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, there is security and a right place for the birth and the bringing up of children. Enjoying the bounty of creation, but also tending to it carefully and thoughtfully. Well, of course. All of that and much more will only come in the fullness when the king returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Nonetheless, the people of God in the here and now are to be signposts to that day. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. And again, these verses we read last Sunday. Can I tell you, when when I prepared for last Sunday, I wasn't thinking of going to the book of Ezekiel. But for a number of reasons, including the situation with the music, I had to change my thinking at the end of the week. But even as I prepared, I thought, hey, there's a lot of connection. I was quite surprised. I mean, there's, quite su- there's a lot of connection between these bits, you know, between Ezekiel and Ephesians. It's not be something you'd automatically think to. But there again, listen to these verses from Ephesians 2. Consequently, in verse 19, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. How many people feel exiled in their own bodies, or their own land, or their own community, foreigners. But you are fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling for what? A dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I will make My sanctuary among them. Does that know? It? Well, I hope anyway, it stirs your hearts. Here's a word given to Ezekiel in a God-forsaken land of Babylon. A man, if you remember, when we looked at it, a man whose own wife died and whose own people rejected. And all he heard was the news getting worse. And he could easily have thought, Pfft. What's the point? The job of prophet is certainly not easy. And yet in the midst of that bleak situation, there's a word of promise. And how's that word of promise going to be confirmed? It's going to be confirmed in the child born of Mary, born of God, David's greater son, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Glory, the great I Am, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And he comes and by the Holy Spirit dwells within us and amongst us, gives us a status, gives us an identity, gives us a purpose, gives us a meaning, not only for this life, but for eternity. That is our calling. That is what the King requires. That is what the King calls us to be. And all of that is only possible because His Holy Spirit is at work and will take our cold and hard hearts and soften them and make them sensitive to the love of God and to the things of the Spirit. The prophet's word made most sure. The baby Cradled in the manger, that the wise men went to look for, for the king who was born. They knew more about what was happening than the Jews sitting round about them, or are living in Bethlehem. But that same baby, who wears many crowns on his head and will come riding on a charger, and whose name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is our Lord. That is our God. That is our destiny. And that is what enables us to live with faith in the here.